Why don't you open your Bibles to John 14. John chapter 14. All right, we're going to continue our series in Lent. We've been looking at the life of Jesus and what we can learn from his life, which sounds kind of silly, like don't we always talk about Jesus and his life and and all that, but but really what 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 can we learn from his humanity? What can we learn from the things he did, the things he practiced? What what, what does that teach us about communion with God? What does that teach us about life in, in the world? And so we've been kind of looking back and tearing back some of the just the, the things that Jesus did, the things that were Jesus was about, because really he's showing us how to live our lives. And so from that, we've also looked at just the different ways in which different streams of the church have kind of popped up because of the life of Jesus. Things like the contemplative tradition, uh, the, a prayer life, a deep prayer life, because Jesus obviously was in prayer constantly, going out in solitary places, solitude places, teaching us to pray the Lord's prayer. He was a man of prayer, obviously. Uh, last week, we talked about the holiness tradition that has to do with virtue and living lives of, of purity. And we looked at uh, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness and the way Satan was trying to tempt him with the things of this this world and, and all the power and all the glory and all those kinds of things. But Jesus used scripture and ways to say, no, my, my true hope, my true identity, my true life is found in the Father. I'm not going to fall into those temptations when temptation comes, that I have a bigger kingdom than I'm, I'm after. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the charismatic stream, excuse me, charismatic stream. I didn't mean to choke on my words there. Uh, Life in the spirit. What does a spirit dependent life look like? And how did Jesus live that life uh, before us? And so, uh, so with that, we're going to look at John 14. I'm going to look at a couple verses in 14, 15, and 16. So let's start in John uh, 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he... It is who loves me, and he who loves me will be, my, be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make, his, make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the world that you hear, excuse me, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jump over to chapter 15, verse 26, last two verses of chapter 15. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jump over to 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of God for us this morning. And so, as I mentioned, we are looking at the... Uh, life of Jesus and the things that come from his life. And specifically this morning, we're looking at the teachings of Jesus when he talks about the Holy Spirit and, and what this kind of charismatic stream. And I know when we hear that, that word, we kind of freak out because we have all these maybe bad images of that. And it seems like that's kind of like weird people who are just, you know, all, all about the gifts and, and, and speaking in tongues and doing all those things. And we'll, we'll address some of that. But, but the reality is that when we talk about the spirit-led life or a spirit-dependent life, what we're talking about is a spiritual life. That you can't talk about spirit-dependent if you don't talk about what does it look like to have a spiritual life. And and so to talk about the Holy Spirit is to talk about having a spiritual life or a spirit-dependent life. The, the, The two go hand in hand. And so what I want to look at here just for a few few moments this morning is first a kind of foundational truth uh, that I want to give you of what a definition of a spiritual or spiritual dependent life looks like. So I want to give you some foundational, like two quick texts to kind of ground us. And then we're going to look at John because either these are the five uh, fancy word paraclete sayings. And I know you knew that um, paraclete is just a fancy Greek word that means spirit, helper, advocate. We'll get into that in just a moment. So these five kind of sayings or teachings from John 15 are going to kind of help us understand the nature and the character of the Holy Spirit itself. And then as I've kind of done the last few weeks, we're going to look at some of the strengths and weaknesses of the stream and give you some practices that you can kind of put into your your life. And then we won't take communion. Uh, and so uh, we'll, we'll get to that at the at the end here. So, so just a couple of things. When we talk about what a spiritual life is or a spirit-dependent life is, I want to give you kind of two texts that kind of ground us to give us a definition for what we're even talking about in the first place. And, and one text that I want to give you just briefly is, comes from 1 Corinthians uh, 3. And this is really eye-opening when we think about what a spiritual life or a, a spirit person is or a spiritual person is. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is really enlightening. First couple of verses there. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, yet ready, but you are still of the flesh. So not spiritual people, just normal humans. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Apollo, or Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Very interesting. So, so here's what Paul, the Apostle Paul, is setting up for us to help us understand what is a spiritual person, what is a spiritual person at their core? What is a spiritual life at its core? And, and what Paul's argument here is, here's these Christians that are kind of divided over who's following who, who's doing, doing what, but he's saying, I couldn't even address you as spiritual people. Because you're full of jealousy and strife. Now, 
This is interesting because he's talking to Christians. He's saying that when you and I act in a way, when we act divisively, when we act full of jealousy and strife, or we're so obsessed with, you know, what teacher, who do I follow, with the latest, greatest thing, whatever it is, he says, you're just being merely human again. But you're not being spiritual people. You're not walking in the spirit of God. So, so the divisions here, Paul is saying, is that there actually are spiritual people and there's non-spiritual people. And that's where Romans 8 comes into play. Because Romans 8, if you go to Romans 8, because it's the greatest chapter in the Bible, but Romans 8, verse 9, helps us understand a little more of what Paul's talking about. Romans 8, verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his life, through, through his spirit who dwells in you. So 1 Corinthians 3, Romans 8, here's what we're saying is there are spiritual people, non-spiritual people. The difference is, are you in Christ or not? The, the, everyone who's in Christ is also charismatic. Because you have the Spirit of God living, dwelling in you. There is not two classes of Christians. Paul's argument says that if you are believing in Christ, you're walking with Christ, you're trusting with Christ, you have the Spirit of God living in you. You are a spiritual person. You are a Spirit-dependent person. And so this divisions of who's charismatic, who's not, who's born again, and who's, you know has the second blessing is silly if you look at the Scriptures. Because all believers are charismatic. All believers are spiritual people and walk in the Spirit of God. And I think that's where some of the goofiness has happened. I think where some of the division has happened in different (coughs) tribes and denominations and communities is that we've made the Spirit of God, the charismata, if you will, of God, this kind of divisive thing rather than a, a, a uniting thing to say that, hey, if you're a believer, you're a brother, you're a sister in Christ, all of us are charismatic. All of us have the Spirit of God. All of us are temples of the Holy Spirit. There's not two groups of people. There's one family of God, one spirit, one faith. So we need to understand that what makes a person spiritual is the fact that they have the spirit of God living in them. And and I love this because I I think what we're dealing with is we're not dealing with a nebulous God. We're talking about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the, the triune God, the, the Trinity that the Scriptures reveal to us, that, 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 that we're not just saying God nebulous or Holy Spirit nebulous, that it's a person, that it's revealed from the Scriptures. And, 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 and to understand that is not to just say we're just spiritual people and kind of the way our culture does, right? Everyone's spiritual. It's an energy. It's, it's, you know, it's goodness. It's, it's you know, doing chants or it's, it's inward, you know, reflection, it's new age stuff, whatever it is. Spirituality is the hot buzz topic. But when we talk about spirituality from a biblical perspective, we're talking about people that are filled with the spirit of God. God himself lives and dwells in them with them. So let me give you a real rough definition so we can kind of go into John 14 is that I think a, a, a good definition based on these texts and based on the text we'll get into is a definition of a spiritual life or a spirit-dependent life is God alive, God active, and present in us. That's all it is. It's, it's God alive, active, and present in us. 
Right? That, that God's at work. God's alive. He's, he's doing something. He's living. He's, he's dwelling his people. He's, he's active. He's doing things in the world. And you'll see that very clearly in John 14, how Jesus teaches through that. That the spiritual person, the spirit-dependent person, knows that their God is alive and active and with them and in their lives. Now, can that happen in different measures? Of course. Because the scriptures are always going to talk about ways in which we grieve the Holy Spirit. And if we're full of anger and lust and divisiveness, we're going to grieve, we're going to quench the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we can experience it more and, and, and measure in different times in our lives. Sometimes God gives us gifts that, that maybe we're, we find ourselves serving in a capacity we're just overwhelmed with, and somehow God gives us these gifts to help us minister to other people. Or maybe he just gives us a, a, a word to say, a word of encouragement to, to, to say to someone that's maybe struggling. Have you ever had those weird moments? Where you just feel kind of panicky and you're just like, I don't know what to say. And then God just kind of gives you something, right? And it's just like, where did that come from? You know, bring something to mind. Or, or maybe you're, you're walking through a time of, uh, of hurt and pain and, and loss or anxiety. And like a scripture just kind of comes and kind of hits you. Or maybe you, you're reading the scriptures and you've read this one scripture, you know, nine million times. And you probably have it on a coffee mug and you have it on a t-shirt. And then somehow this verse becomes life to you. You ever had that? That's the Holy Spirit. Moving, alive, active with us. So God, active, alive, present with us. That's kind of the foundational uh, uh, definition of a spiritual or spirit-dependent life. Now, let's look at the nature and effect of the Holy Spirit based on our texts from John 14, 15, and 16. So as I mentioned earlier, these are what, G- <clears throat> what theologians call the, the five paraclete sayings of Jesus. The, the paraclete, again, is a Greek word. Just means It means helper, or advocate, go to John 14, 16. I'm going to turn back to John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, paraclete, to be with you forever. And, and I love the, the description of what the Holy Spirit is, because I think this makes the Holy Spirit not an it or a weird cousin that we're just like n- not sure what to do with. You know that weird uncle at Thanksgiving who just kind of over in the corner just like spouting weird things, usually about you know end times or Trump or something, something weird, and you're just like, let's shut that guy down, right? And that's kind of how we treat the Holy Spirit sometimes. Like he's there, we're just not sure what to do with him. He's kind of weird, his hair's kind of crazy. But, 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 the, but the, the definition that Jesus gives us of the paraclete is a helper. It's an advocate. It's an intercessor. Now, Advocate, in, a, in legal terms, you've heard me talk about this before, is someone who pleads for a client's case. It's someone who walks alongside another person to say, I'm with you, I'm for you. If you've ever gone through the adoption process, you have an advocate. If you've ever gone through social services or, or, or particular kind of counseling, you have an advocate who's, who's kind of a third party that's saying, I'm going to walk alongside you, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to plead your case. It's usually someone that has more wisdom or more skill than you that, that can kind of help you in these times of, of trouble. Uh, when my wife and I were walking through a tough time with our, our daughter, Samantha, who passed away years ago, um, in the hospital, we had advocates that would kind of help us with insurance, help us with counseling, help us with all kinds of things. And I, and I love that because it gives a, a personality to the Holy Spirit, that this advocate, this helper, he's, he's with us, he's alongside us, he's in us, he's not abandoning us, it's God's presence, the presence of Christ is with us. He's here to help. Now, this makes total sense because I didn't read this text, but if you jump up to verse, four, verse 1 and 14, 
Notice where the disciples are at this time when Jesus is doing this teaching. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jump down to verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So at this time, Jesus is getting ready to die on the cross. He's getting ready to be resurrected from the dead. He's he's getting ready to go back to heaven. He's getting ready to leave the disciples. Now, if you've been walking with this rabbi, this teacher for three years, and all of a sudden he starts talking about, I'm going to die and I'm going to go away, they're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're leaving us now? And in the first century, you're talking about Roman oppression. You're talking about persecution. You're talking about, hey, we're this ragtag Jewish people with no hope in the world and no power, no resources. And we have this rabbi teacher who's talking about the kingdom of God and it's breaking in and loving your enemies and, and you're going to be with us for always, forever, but now you're leaving? Yeah, it's actually good. That's what Jesus keeps saying. He's going to say it more. We'll get to it, but it's good that I go away. Why? Because I'm leaving you a helper. I'm leaving you an advocate to be with you, to come alongside you. And why that's such a, a, a gift is because Jesus' ministry, you know, to that point, he's like, hey, I'm not going to leave you, but guess what? He's, he's physically in the body. His ministry can only go so far. And we know even historically that Jesus' ministry was less than a hundred mile, mile circle around Galilee. But now the Holy Spirit's come. And now it's going to get really interesting because Jesus' presence and Jesus' ministry can continue on through his people, through his church, to every corner of the world. It's actually good that I go away. So don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I find this very apropos in the climate in which we live right now, right? Holy Spirit's with us. He's not leaving. He, no one's gone. Like Elvis hasn't left the building, Right? He's our advocate. He's walking alongside us. Maybe our hearts are troubled. They're full of anxiety. We don't know what what to do, but God says, I'm with you. I haven't gone anywhere. Jesus is with us. The presence of Christ, the spirit of Christ, as the scriptures call it. His personal presence is with us always. We can go to him. So the the nature of of the Holy Spirit is, is just understand first that the, the, his name is, is he's an advocate he's a helper he's one who comes alongside notice that the context is that he's, he's come to disciples just like you our hearts are troubled we're anxious we're not sure what to do and he says it's good that I go away I'm going to be with you now there's five paraclete sayings and, and this kind of reveals what the, 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 the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does kind of the nature and effect and the first thing that's very obvious is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth we saw that in verse 17 even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. So the spirit is, 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 affirms what is true and good and pure and, and holy. It's an interesting way that Jesus kind of phrases this because he says that, that the world basically bases their beliefs on and puts their trust in things that are measured and things that are, can be seen and things we can see with our physical eyes. But he says, actually it takes a spiritual person to be able to see what I'm up to. That we, that we can live our lives, even with coronavirus, right? We can say with our eyes, we see that things are, are really bad. But he says, but hey, to, but true faith is, is to say that God's actually probably doing a million things that we cannot see right now through something like a coronavirus. And I've been praying that God would, would bring spiritual renewal and revival to us and to our world and to our nation to show us that the world isn't just about what we can see, taste, and touch. But God's up to something in the world that his kingdom has broken in. 
And so he says the, the spirit of truth is someone who enlightens, enlivens, opens our eyes to see things and see a reality that, that maybe wasn't there before. That's why before we're Christians, we, we just see the world as, well, Jesus is just some rabbi or moral teacher or philosopher. But, but when the Spirit of God comes and opens and awakens us and we're born again by the Spirit of God and we can see the kingdom of God, we go, oh, there's something else going on here. There's something bigger going on in God's world. There's something bigger going on in my life and in the church and in Christ. This Jesus is someone different doing something else. The, the Spirit always reveals truth to us and how things are and who God is and what he's like, if you jump to chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus says something very similar. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, this is interesting because <clears throat> specifically, Jesus is talking to the disciples, the ones that are going to write down the New Testament. And I don't know about you, but that's a big job. That's probably not a job I would want. But he's saying that even after I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to actually help you and guide you and lead you to write down all that I've taught you, all that I've revealed to you. Thanks be to God. That's why we have a New Testament. But since you and I don't write the scriptures and don't have any new scriptures to add, and if you do, please talk to me. I'd like to correct that for you. Um, doesn't mean God doesn't speak anymore, by the, by the way. But as far as the scriptures go, we're good. So what does that mean for me and you? Well, well all over the scriptures, it, it, it simply means this, that if the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, he's continually guiding us and leading us into all truth. Going back to, to Romans 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. So this spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the paraclete, the helper is with us leading and guiding us into all truth. Leading and guiding our lives, coming alongside us. It's very similar to what Paul says in, in Galatians chapter 5, 17 and 18, that we're led by the spirit, not by the flesh. Can I say something to you, church? I will, because I have the mic. You don't need to panic about every decision you're making in your life. Why? Because the Spirit of God is with you. Now, if you think God is telling you to sin, that's not God. But we have this kind of weird, like, like we, we kind of panic and we forget, okay, I, what if I go through this door and then my life is terrible, or this door, like, what am I supposed to do? If we believe that the Spirit of God, the Advocate, the Helper is with us, alongside us, and we believe that, 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 we're, that He's with us, that He's going to lead us to where we need to go, that we can make decisions knowing God is helping us, giving us wisdom, leading and guiding every step of the way. doesn't mean we're robots. doesn't mean it's just like, yes, God, what is the Holy Spirit saying? Should I step now? Should I not step now? Right? Should I turn left or right? I don't believe that's the way it works. But we believe that this helper, this friend is with us, nudging us, guiding us. And a lot of you know that because you, you know, sometimes you just make a decision. You're like, I didn't know what I was doing or why I did that. But man, it just seemed like God just showed me some things through that. And here's the other thing. Sometimes you're going to make a decision and it's going to go horribly wrong. Who's to say that's not God? 
We act as if it only goes well, it's God, and if it goes horribly wrong. In all things, God does everything for the good of those who love him. I've made some terrible decisions. We've walked through some dark times. There were times where I took a call to go to Colorado, and in the midst of going to Colorado, our daughter died. Couldn't have been God's will. What if I would have took that call to California and planted a church? Maybe this never would have happened. Those are things that go through your mind. But God knew exactly what he needed to do in and through me. I thank God every day that he's done that. Not that I lose my daughter, but the things that he's taught me through my daughter and taught me through my life through going through a tough trial like that. Right? Even in things like coronavirus, God's at work. Spirit of truth. He's also a teacher. A second one, a teacher, which, which I, I love this um, because I don't think we, we often think of, of God, our, our teacher, the Holy Spirit, our teacher. So go back to 14. Uh, where's John? John's in here somewhere. 14, 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all the things that I have said to you, and as I remember, this reminded you there's a there's a context where the disciples are going to need to remember some things that happened because they're going to write these down in the New Testament, which is not our role, by the way. Um, but the broader application is that the Holy Spirit is a person who is our teacher, which makes total sense. Jesus was our teacher on earth. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. They'd always call him teacher, right? But he's saying, it's an advantage that you go away. Why? So that I can send the presence of Christ, the, the, the reality of Christ, the, the knowledge of God with you by the Holy Spirit. He's a person who teaches us. He was inviting disciples into the school of life, and now the Holy Spirit does the same work in the hearts and lives of believers. Now, I don't think it's the way it works. is just we don't need any actual human teachers ever, because then there's a lot of texts in Scripture that just don't make sense, like God gives gifts to teachers and pastors and all that kind of stuff. But the Holy Spirit works through the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit works through men and women gifted by God to teach and to help and to apply and to walk. The Spirit he gives gifts to the church to, to help build them up and minister to those inside and outside, out in the world. But the Holy Spirit is our constant teacher, teaching us true, teaching how things are. I've shared this parts of this quote before, and I'm going to read it again. Because I think depending on how much we really believe that or, or how much we think about that or apply that really says a lot about how much we think Jesus is smart or not. <laughs> um, because I think it's funny. We, we kind of have like, we have Jesus. And yeah, he's good for like, uh, I don't know, Sunday school and, and church on Sunday and my little devotional life. But, you know, I'm an engineer or I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm, I work for NASA. I'm a doctor. I, I don't really need, Jesus really doesn't apply to that. I, you know, I'm in business. And so business principles, those, those apply to there. But Jesus has no say in that. Um, this is why I love this quote from Dallas Willard. He says, but can we seriously imagine that Jesus could be Lord if he were not smart? If he were divine, would he be dumb? Or uninformed? Once you stop to think about it, how could he be what Christians take him to be in other respects and not be the best informed and most intelligent person of all? The smartest person who ever lived, bringing us the best information on the most important subjects. What lies at the heart of the astonishing disregard of Jesus found in the moment-to-moment -moment existence of multitudes of professing Christians is simply a lack of respect for him. He is not seriously taken to be a person of great ability. But what then can devotion or worship mean? 
if simple respect is not included in it? That's a challenge. If we don't think that Jesus is the smartest, most intelligent, brilliant person in the world that will ever be, then we're not really reading the same book here. Because Paul talks that way in Colossians chapter 2, talking about Jesus, the early church is, is uh, talking about Jesus in Colossians uh, 2 and 1. In Colossians 2, verse 3 says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, talking about Christ. That, that all the wisdom and knowledge of the universe is in this Jesus, who is a creator of all things, that he holds. And then Colossians 1, they say this Jesus who holds all things together. All things were made by him and for him and through him. That if he's not the most brilliant and the smartest person in the universe, we're doing something wrong. We're not reading these texts rightly. It's not just for Sunday school. Jesus isn't just for more knowledge of doctrine. He shows us constantly how the world works. And shows us our greatest need. You know, I, th- I was thinking of this this uh, week, especially you know walking through you know what we're walking through as as a community and as a as a world with the coronavirus and things is about anxiety and worry. Jesus' teaching on anxiety and worry is like nothing else in the universe, and it's so applicable right now in any time in your life. Why are we worrying about tomorrow? We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I'm sorry, like. I, I'm not disagreeing with doctors. I'm not disagreeing with health organizations. But they don't know the future, by the way. And neither does our president. And neither does any of us, right? So he says, well, why are you, why are you worrying about tomorrow? You don't even know what tomorrow is. It has enough problems as it is, right? It's not going to add one more hour to your life. But know this. I have enough grace for you today, sustain you today. I'm with you today. Don't be anxious. Right? I know it's easier said than unbelieve me. I, I get anxious like everyone else. But there's something in that that he knew deep in our bones that we're going to look out in the world and we're going to be fearful. That's why he says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm with you. The advocate's with you. He's walking alongside with you. There's going to be times in your life where persecution's going to come and sickness is going to come and the unknowns are going to come. But I want you to know I'm a friend and I'm with you. I haven't abandoned you. That's what the world wants you to live in panic and fear, to take you out of the game, Right? Because we're no good if we're full of anxiety and worry, are we? Right? If you've been there, I've been there. Right? It kind of takes me out of everything. I'm not good for my wife, my kids, right? I'm not good at my work, nothing, right? There's something about Jesus that says, I know what you're going through. And I also know what's going to take you out. So look to me, trust me. It's not going to add anything to your life. So, so Jesus is our, our, our teacher. He, he leads, he guides us, he teaches us all about everything in life. Well, one of the things we, we try to talk with our kids, are, all of our kids go to, go to public school. Uh, don't shame and guilt us. But uh, they go to public school. And, and so, you know, they're not, you know, they're not exalting Jesus in the classroom. But, but one thing we talk about is that when we look at science and we look at the social studies and we, we look at art and we look at all this, is that how do we point that back to our creator? All of that's God's wisdom and God's idea. It's just his general revelation that we get to enjoy and look at. Math and science and, and art, right? It's, it's God made it. God thought it up, right? So how do we point back to the reality that Jesus is the smartest and the most brilliant, right? Have you guys seen a sunset? Have you seen a sunrise? Absolutely amazing. Who thought this up? Not you. What a brilliant God. What a creative God. When I see you in our church with different gifts and talents and abilities, using those gifts and talents, I'm just like, God, you did this. You made us. In your image, you gave us all these gifts and all these talents to use for your glory, to sustain this world. 
to serve it, to, to bring beauty to it. Praise your name. So the Holy Spirit's our, our teacher. It's also the Holy Spirit is a witness of Christ, a witness of Christ. We, we saw that in verse uh, chapter 15 of John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Some have called the the Holy Spirit is kind of the shy one of the Trinity. There's the Father, very obvious. Father leads the home. The Son, come on, boy. And the Holy Spirit, just kind of like, uh, you know, that, that one. But it's based on texts like this. Because the, the, the role, one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to shine a giant spotlight on Christ. To bear witness of Him and what He said and what He did in His life and His death and His resurrection. And so, so really the, the Holy Spirit's role is to submit to the Father and the Son and to make sure that He is shining a bright light on Christ and looking at Him and saying, look at Him, look at Him, look what He's done, look what He's accomplished. My job as the Holy Spirit is not to boast and be the one up in front, but to say, look, look, look. It's to bear witness to Christ. Now, the obvious, I think, implication of that is that we are to bear witness to Christ. That if the Spirit of God lives in us, our lives are a reflection of Christ and what he's done and what he's like and, and what he, he wants to do in our lives and why he came and, and how the kingdoms broke in. So it works both ways. The Holy Spirit is always submitting to the Father and the Son and taking what they're teaching Him to to tell us, but then it's now us to go out and say, this is who Jesus is. This is what He's like. This is what He's done. It's to witness to His realities. I also find it fascinating that in the Scriptures, uh, John, the same writer here, in his letter in 1 John 4, in 1 John 4, maybe you're familiar with this text, maybe not, but he says that what's the litmus test of even testing what is true and what is, is not true? And it's, it's actually Christ. Um, in 1 John uh, 4, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard at was coming and now is in the world already. So uh, for us as God's people, how do we know what is of the Spirit? Does it prop up Jesus? His life, his death, his resurrection, his humanity, his divinity? Or does it minimize him? Do we even have any talks about him? I'll be careful how I say this, but I'll just say it. One of the weaknesses of the charismatic movement is that often it doesn't prop up Christ enough. It props up experiences or the gifts or whatever, but it doesn't prop up Jesus and his life and his death and his work. So we, we want to be careful of that, right? If, if it doesn't ultimately lead back to Jesus, I kind of want to go, whoa, I don't know. Right? Any crazy, weird, nasty-haired preachers on TV that don't talk about Jesus, only talk about getting Ferraris and money, I just want to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. If I don't hear about the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, I don't want anything of that. That's not of the Spirit. That's of the Antichrist. In our lives with God, in our discipleship, if Christ is in the center, if Christ is in the finish, if Christ is in the center of our churches, we don't have a church. We have something else. 
If it's about a preacher, if it's about a program, if it's about fill in the blank and it's not about Christ, it's not of the Spirit. So the Spirit always, the Holy Spirit always witnesses, reflects, points to Christ. And because the Spirit lives in us, one of our primary works as God's people to go and to be salt and light and to be ambassadors and to be reconcilers is the same Christ, the same Christ that the Holy Spirit witnesses of is to witness through us in our lives, in our words, in our deeds. Four, a couple more, we'll land the plane. The Holy Spirit's also a prosecutor. Prosecutor, I know that sounds like harsh language, but it's kind of what the, the scriptures show us. In John 16, go back. Uh, John 16, number four here is that he's a, he's a pro- prosecutor. Notice what he says in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will do this. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judge. So the advantage of Christ leaving the earth and sending the Holy Spirit from the Father is to do a couple things. One is to convict the world of sin. It will give people an opportunity to repent of their sin, to see their sin, also repent of their sin and see Christ. That's a great gift of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Here, here's another little gift, and a little, this one's for free. You're not the Holy Spirit. You don't need to convict people. That one's for free. But it's true, right? Like, that's a gift. Like, it's not my job to go show how awful people are that somehow they would repent and receive. It's like the Holy Spirit is very good at that because that's what the Holy Spirit does. That doesn't mean we don't teach and preach the gospel and call people to repentance. I'm not saying that at all. But it's not your job. You don't have to manipulate people. You don't have to, right? Some of you grew up in, you know, okay, I know we got some Baptists in here. Let's just get, keep it real, right? How many times have you given your life to Christ? 482? Right? When you're a little kid, by your mama, like, you better, you don't want to go to hell, son. Right? You don't want to go to hell. Right? Say that, right? It's like, no, no. Let the Holy Spirit convict, right? We lay the table with my kids. It's like, we're going to open up the scriptures. We're going to talk about the things of God. I'm going to pray like crazy, but I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will do that work of conviction, not me. Because I'm a poor version of the Holy Spirit. Right? And then we get these kind of false, yeah, I better... What? I can't, I can't watch movies? I don't, I don't like that. I saw a movie. Should I repent? You know, whatever it is. But it's not true conversion, right? So, so let, the, let the Spirit convict the world of sin. It's also about teaching on true righteousness. So G- Jesus is going to go away because his whole life was about teaching what is right and what is good and what is just. He's going to go away, but now the Holy Spirit is going to show us how to live a righteous life will continue to teach us, continue to show us the ways of Christ in the world. And also will, an obvious one, is judgment. That The enemy's already on notice, Satan's already on notice, which means if we're following not Christ, but the prince of the air, as Ephesians would say, is that we're going to be judged too. All of us are going to be judged. But we're not the judges. Hear me, church. The Holy Spirit is very good at this. 
and will show, show us, all of us, show us our sin, show us our need, show, show that we all stand naked before God and that the only thing we can do is plead on the righteousness of Christ. And God's, the Holy Spirit is very good at this. Right? I, I didn't grow up in the church, as most of you, you know. And yet it was through a, people and, and through the church and, and through people sharing the gospel with me that the Holy Spirit came and showed me my true need wasn't just, you know, I'm having a bad teenage college years. It was, I've broken God's heart, that I'm a sinner who needs grace that I'm designed and created for God, but the Holy Spirit had to do that in me and did that in a lot of you. Even if you grew up in the church, right? There was a, a time in your life where the Spirit kind of illuminated and opened your eyes to say, this is not just my parents' faith, but this is real for me. This is life. This is good, right? So, so instead of just going, yeah, mom and dad, yeah, 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 I know, I get it, I get it. There was a time, a season, you can talk to my wife, she's not here this morning, but, um, but, but, but there was a time in her life, grow up in a pastor's home, right? You think, well, they're pastor's home, I mean, they're all Christians, and that's all they've ever known, but it was a time when she was 15 years old where the, she was at a conference and the Spirit of God touched her life. Oh, there's something better going on here. It's deeper than what just my parents told me about. So let the Holy Spirit be the prosecutor. Let the Holy Spirit do its work in our lives. And guess what? This gives, a, gives me so much freedom and joy because I can go live my life and I don't have to panic and worry, well, I didn't know my barber's going to hell because I didn't share Christ with them. But God, this Holy Spirit's going to give us opportunities to do that as time arises. Just lay out the table and let the Holy Spirit do its work. All right, that's all we can do. We can lay out the feast and the food and say, hey, this is Jesus, this is what he's done, this is how amazing, come and eat, right? But we just pray like crazy, the Holy Spirit does its work. That's all we can do. I'll say this, just, just real, just candid moment, but um, you know, early on as a pastor, like, I just had this kind of anxiety over, man, I just got to get the sermon just right, and you know, people are going to die if I don't, and I got to get the illustrations just right, and I got to be you know, funny, but not too funny, because I don't want people to you know, think I'm a goof, but I, I got to be serious, but I also got to be doctrinal, but I got to be led by the Spirit, I got to be authentic, right? And just like, just a mess. How can you live like that? But it was texts like this that just reminded me time and time again, Ryan, I'm with you. Holy Spirit's going to do what the Holy Spirit's going to do in your midst. Just open the word and preach and proclaim the gospel and let it do its work. Stop trying to make people feel something or do something or act on something, right? Okay. Last, Holy Spirit can be trusted. Holy Spirit can be trusted. I love, I love uh, just the last few verses of 16. I still have many, verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you things that are to come. Here it is. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here's why I frame it that way. It can be trusted. One is the Holy Spirit's not done speaking. And that scares a lot of us, right? It's like, well, it seems like, is this just scripture? I don't think it's just talking about writing down scripture. But he can be trusted because everything the Holy Spirit says to us is from the Father and the Son. They're not trying to lead us astray. 
And if you understand the character and nature of the father, he's a good, wise father. He's not going to ask or say anything that's crazy of us. He wants good in our lives. So when we hear condemnation, that's not the father. You're never good enough. You're never worthy enough. You're trash. You're a failure. You're not a good Christian. That's not the father. The father, that's the lies of the enemy. The, the enemy is always the accuser. That doesn't mean we won't be con- convicted of sin. Of course we will be. But when we're convicted of sin, the father doesn't come in with a hatchet. The father comes like a surgeon with a tool and says, hey, let's, let's just deal with some of the cancer. We're going to just kind of lovingly cut some of that stuff out. He doesn't come with a, a hatchet or a chainsaw. That's not the father. Because guess what? If he did, none of us could stand. That's why he doesn't deal with all of our sin at one time, because we couldn't breathe. But he comes lovingly and graciously and says, hey, Ryan, can we talk about that? He can be trusted, because the Father and the Son and the Spirit are always about glorifying each other and and making sure that, that we are where we need to be. And so that's why I say trust, because the Spirit is a person. It's the person of Christ. And so if it's the person of Christ, the presence of Christ, he's always speaking to us. He's a friend of sinners. If the presence of Christ, our series is, is, is developing a friendship with God, right? A balanced friendship is that he's always after developing and deepening that friendship. So he always has good for us. He can be trusted. So it's not by accident that God would have us here this morning in the midst of coronavirus to remind us that there's an advocate, a helper, a friend, a companion that walks with us and alongside us, that will never leave us or forsake us. Now, a couple things. There's always strengths and weaknesses. I'm going to give you a couple practices just as we land the plane here. Strengths, I love the charismatic stream and talks about the spirit-dependent spirit dependent life is because it doesn't domesticate God. I think it's very easy for us to domesticate God. Say, God can't do that. Well, why? I don't know, because that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> right? So, so, so it gives God, the Spirit, room to work. Right? It's, it, it's wind. It blows where it pleases. Right? We, we don't domesticate God. That's one of its great strengths, that God is alive. He's active and present with us. Let's not domesticate God. Let's not tell God what He can and can't do. Right? I love that. It's just my favorite thing with bloggers and people that write things. It's just like, we've decided God can't do that. Okay, one laugh, half a laugh. You got nervous. Okay. He also, the Spirit also spirit works to shape our character. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit. I love that strength. It's forming us, making us more like Christ. That's the Spirit's work, fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 6, 5. Um, Gifts of the Spirit, another one, is that it gives us gifts to witness and serve our world. That's another great strength of the charismatic stream. That God empowers us to do what we couldn't do in our own power. To love and serve other people inside and outside the church. But, but here's a couple weaknesses. I think one of the weaknesses is that sometimes we can reject the things that are rational or intellectual. Sometimes we can turn our minds off and just say, well, it's just the Spirit. Just let the Spirit blow, right? No, God's given us minds to use to love Him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? We, we don't have to minimize rational thought or thinking or study or, or things like that. That can be kind of a weakness. Um, 
Also, I think there's a, a divorcing of what, what I would call spiritual fruit and spiritual gifts. So in other words, you can have all these gifts of the Spirit and do these great things for God, but be a jerk. Fruit of the Spirit. If there's not love, Paul says you've missed the whole point. If, if I've given you all these gifts and there's no love, you missed it. <laughs> and the gifts are always for the common good of the body. So if there's not love in there, if there's not a, a love for Christ and it's just about experiences or gifts or, 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 or flopping on the floor, we, we've kind of missed it. We need both. We need character that goes with. And guess what? People with lots of gifts and no character is a deadly combination. Okay. You know who you are. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Life in the Spirit. Um, let me just close with this one uh, as far as weaknesses. And this is one I don't really understand, but life in the Spirit often is a bizarre connection of end-time scenarios with no theological or biblical warrant. I don't know why in heavy charismatic traditions and streams there seems to be a weird end-times theology that really has no theological or biblical warrant, but sometimes they go together. Like we need to predict, you know, who the president is, who the Antichrist is, and when Jesus is returning, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, not sure why that is, but that it is what it is. Now, a couple things, and we'll pray. And uh, no communion. <laughs> One, just daily yield to the Spirit. What does it look like to just daily yield to the Spirit? You're my advocate. You're my helper. Here I am. Guide me. Lead me. Don't be scared of that. That's why Jesus teaches us on this. It's okay to pray to the Holy Spirit. That we could ask the Spirit to, to, to come and, and work and minister in, in us and through us. Secondly, um, one would just be to ask the Spirit to nurture spiritual fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self, uh, self-control, perseverance, right? All, all these fruit of the Spirit that we see in the Scriptures that you would ask the God to, to cultivate in us a Christ-like character. That's a big work of the Spirit. Help us become more like Christ. Help us walk in that power Third, one great practice is how can you and I discover our spiritual gifts? What are the gifts that God has given us to use for this body and for our world? Every every believer in Christ has spiritual gifts. So so what are they? How do we develop those? Andy talks about those a lot. What does that look like to develop those, to to ask for those, to, to give us wisdom to show us what those things are? We also have a body of believers to help us discern what those are as well. And you know, I'll just... You don't need to take a, a test on what your gifts are. Start serving, and you'll find out real quick how you're wired and how you're gifted. That's one of the best ways to do it. It's not rocket science. It's just, yeah, I, I would never want to teach. I don't want to stand up in front of people. I don't. That's just not me. But, man, I, I love setting up chairs, and I love mercy ministry. I love hospitality. Just as you serve, you'll figure out how God has gifted you and wired you, right? I'm still praying for gifts for me, so uh, keep that in your prayers. And then last, listen to the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit in making decisions. You have decisions in life all day long. You have decisions, right? Our whole life are just decisions. Work decisions, family decisions, what we eat, what we, you know, how we're going to spend our time. Just all day long, just asking the Spirit, just help me. You, you say you're with me. You say you're my advocate. You say you're leading and guiding me. Just being more, more aware of God's Spirit and God's leading in our lives. And again, it's not always going to be an audible, it's not going to be an audible voice necessarily, but it's just these, these impressions, these movements that, may, yeah, I feel like I should do this, or I need to talk to this person, I need to do this. And you can apply that to any part of your life. God, I got this big business decision. I'm just not sure what to do. Can you help me? You say you're with me. Just help me. I don't know what to do. 
Bring it before God. As we close our, our time, and we'll just sing a couple songs and we'll be done, I just want to give you a moment, since we won't take communion this morning, and at the end of the service, you can put your offerings in the front or in the back as you leave. Um, but, but just a, a time of just, I'm just going to leave it quiet for just 30 seconds. It might feel like an eternity, but um, w- what are some things you just need to lay before the Lord? What are some ways in which maybe you've quenched the Spirit of God in your life or you haven't really you know, asked God to, to kind of be more active and present in your life? I just want to give you just kind of a moment just to, to kind of, maybe you're, you're living right now just in a spirit of panic and anxiety and worry over coronavirus or job situation or family situations or whatever it is. Just, I just want to invite you just to, to lay that before God. And if he is who he says he is, he's the advocate, he's our helper, he'll meet us. He'll meet us. Let's just be, be still before God, and then I'll, I'll close this in, in prayer. Thank you for this teaching in John that uh, in this context the disciples were obviously overwhelmed and troubled and worried they're being abandoned by their master and their rabbi. And yet you reminded them it's good that I go away because the Holy Spirit's coming, the advocate, the helper, the counselor. My presence is coming to be with you always. So God, wherever we are this morning, whatever fears we have, anxieties, worries, hopes, dreams, whether it's over coronavirus or or just life in general, may we know that the Spirit of God is with us always. That He's alive and He's active and He's available and He's at work in our midst. Help us believe in that this week. Help us walk in that. Help us trust that you're always doing good in our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.